Folks, over the last year or so, you've heard me talk about getting wealthy being three simple steps. Again, it's create discretionary income, become elite, and 10 years. But my my boy, Dion, who is a wonderful teacher, says, Michael, there's actually six steps. We need to break them down a little bit. So I thought I would step back and learn the six steps to financial freedom. What do you got, buddy? Well, I appreciate that. And, and what this is, is the six steps to financial freedom when you invest in real estate, when you choose the strategy that we did. This is, so there's the, the, the basic premise is increase your income, decrease your expenses, save and invest the difference, right? That's, that's the financial freedom simplest format. So these are six steps that I try to help people understand when they're just starting. Yep. But if there's somebody that's between their 10th and their 11th rental purchase, these are the six steps that you're doing then too. So it's not, what this is how you start. It's these are the six steps that you do. And for some of these steps, the biggest struggle is the sacrifice. What are you willing to sacrifice? Um, so we can start with the first one. And the first one, and this is if you're going to start and grow a business, invest in stocks, do real estate or anything, this is kind of uni unilateral. It's learning how to save. Mm. And a lot of people's brains stop listening when they hear the word save because they think that means spend less, right? No lattes, no vacations. And that's not how you save. To save, this, the, the process of saving is to, the first step is increasing income. Right? There's only so much you can save. You can save 100% of what you make. If all of your expenses were covered by somebody else, you could save 100%. There's no 100% limit to what you can make. You can increase it a thousandfold or 2,000fold. And sometimes that's changing companies for a bigger pay raise, growing a side hustle, investing in cash flowing assets, um, developing a skill or learning something that makes you more attractive to your employer to get in a promotion. There's all those ways to increase income coupled with decreasing expenses. That could be with house hacking, commuting, living in a lower cost of living area, um, the latte factor, cutting out on streaming services, not buying too big a house, not buying too big a car. Um, there are things when I use the word sacrifice, that's what these are the things people aren't going to want to hear. Maybe yeah. on your financial freedom journey, this isn't when you have pets. Mm. Maybe you're like Matt, the lumberjack landlord. Instead of you and me, we had kid, you know, you had a kid and I had kids fairly early in life. Matt had them in his 40s. Mm -hmm. Right. So he got reached financial freedom and then had kids. Right. Those are the kind of sacrifices people don't want to hear. The, the first ones make more, spend less. They can get behind. So it's kind of step yeah. one. Yeah, I think, again, I think people hear save, right? It is a four letter word or they hear sacrifice and they tune out. I got to tell you that financial freedom is a journey. And you just need to realize that until you have what I call dry powder, you call it discretionary income, you call it whatever the hell you want. You want to change the word so you're comfortable. You need to have investment capital that doesn't affect your daily life. For most of us, go out, increase your income and cut back on stupid shit. Have more money at the end of the day. I was somebody who made six figures a year who spent every freaking and there are, again, if you believe the numbers, something like 40% of the six-figure earners you know, don't have any money. That's not okay. So look at yourself in the mirror, man. Start the journey. And I I agree. You got you to gotta save. It has to become a – you got to be comfortable. It is 
it becomes a, a muscle that can be built over time. And a common mistake with saving is a lot of people who, and I did this for years too, think when I make more, I'll save. So the first eight years of my investing, I don't think I ever made, first seven years, I never made more than 50,000. Mm. That eighth year, I think I made 60. And then the last couple, I actually made pretty decent money. But those first eight years, I was saving and buying, right? It took two years to save the down payment for a house hack duplex. Uh, so add time to the element of saving. The, the second step, and this is one that benefits you, whether you're starting out or you're further in your investing and, and almost everything, because it can get you better interest rates on not just purchases with mortgages, but car loans, um, anything else that had that where credit score is looked at is looking at and working on your credit score. You can start this when you start to save. And there's some really simple things that people can do. I don't teach how to get your perfect credit score because mine hovers around 810. So if I had like an 850, I'd be like, hey, here's how I did it. But with an 810, I think it's that's the average people should be shooting for, right? For the best rates, even when things get stricter, like right now, lending requirements, it's been 740 for several years, but now 760 will get you your mm -hmm. best lending options. And that can be increasing credit limits, but not increasing credit utilization to keep that utilization down. Um What's the, there's others. Uh, I automate every payment so that with my memory, I have the, the least likelihood of ever missing a payment, which could stay on your credit report for up to seven years, right? So yeah. simple things. I would watch Graham Stefan and meet Kevin from over five years ago. Like over five years ago, they had content that would really help on stuff like that. So you can find their older videos. That's where I would go to for that. Um, but even if you want to say, okay, I'm not going to have a mortgage in my name, I'm going to go with DSCR loans and use asset-based lending. They don't look at my work history. They don't look at my debt to income ratio. They don't look at my income, but they look at your credit score, mm -hmm. right? Not, not all lenders and all loans, but even DSCR loans look at your credit score. Yeah, they do. So the reason it becomes a step process is let's say you, you think the brand new person says, I want to get into real estate and they go talk to an agent. What's the agent going to say? Yeah. What are you pre-qualified for? What does the lender said? Yep. And what's your credit score? What, you know, they'll ask all the questions. As soon as they find out you haven't talked to a lender, they're not going to really want to talk to you. So it's a, a chronological order, save credit score lender. For me, the third option is to talk to lenders. This is before I've picked a market and picked a strategy, mm -hmm. because I want to know what my options are before I commit a bunch of time, energy, and mental capacity to learning something I might not be able to do. Mm -hmm. And when you talk to a lender, that's what most of us find out. Oh, four units or less. It's me fixed rate residential loans, five units or more is a, is a different animal that you, you would learn two very different strategies for investing in those asset types. So when you talk to a lender, that's when I found out that single parents, so one income, just changed jobs, laid off from law enforcement. So new career field, te teaching, truck driving, making $17 an hour, found out about $89,000 in bad debt I didn't know existed until the divorce, that a mortgage wasn't an option. I wouldn't have known that if I didn't go talk to a lender and I would have started hunting for things. And then just been faced with a bunch of disappointment. Oh, I can't buy that. I can't buy that. But the lender casually mentioned, we really can't lend to you because you don't have anything like rental income on your tax returns. If you did that, your debt to income ratio means almost nothing. That conversation spurred me to go move into an apartment, rent my house out for two years to do a couple things. One, getting rental income on my tax returns fixed the debt to income ratio. Getting two years consistent employment at the truck driving school gave me a new field for bankability. And then it allowed me to save up the down payment for that first house hack. 
right? That is the order that I did that in. If I went to the lender first and I had a terrible credit score, they would have just said, fix that. If I had no down payment or reserve saved up, they would have said, fix that. So that's why I would do it in this order. After that, for me, the fourth step is now you pick your strategy. Hmm. And this is where a lot of people make the mistake of they watch YouTube and they go, okay, that strategy sounds something exciting to me and I'm going to do it. And they pick the market and then they try to force that strategy in there. Instead of looking at the market that you've picked, whether it's where you have trusted boots or where you live, right? The, the, to, to, to know the market has your, your tactical advantage. And then studying that market to see, does that strategy work there? And here's the example for the most recent 10 years. You could find a ton of videos on YouTube of people who did flipping mm-hmm. in an uptrending price market with a downtrending interest rate market, where if you can make huge mistakes on your after repair value, rehab costs, rehab timeline, and just delay it a few months, the market f- covered up your mistakes because the prices would continue to go up, the rates would continue to go down, you'd get this big enough margin to fix these huge mistakes. So currently, those flippers with 10 years of experience are going to be okay. They've been doing this for a decade. They've got all the dialed in thing. They might not make as much as they were, but they're probably not going to fall flat on their face. The new investor that doesn't have the skill set, the 10 years of experience, that is now in a interest uptrending market with prices not trending down, right? They don't have that advantage. Mm-hmm. So you'd have to study the market to figure out in the current market, in that area, with what's going on overall, does your strategy fit? So that's why it's the this, this step that you don't do until you've talked to a lender to find out what your options are, figure out. Now, picking your strategy has to match your end goal. Right? This is where I, I look at um, you, Millennial Mike, Lumberjack, Landlord. One of the biggest differences between the three of you and me is my goal was just financial freedom, the right amount of cash flow with the least amount of units. So I've recycled cash flow. Right. You guys have grown monster portfolios. Millennial Mike's going to have two or three times my size of portfolio within a year or two, right? And his growth rate. Probably, yeah. So you picked strategies, recycled capital, cash out refinances, home equity lines of credit, sale for 1031, uh, all of those. And burrs, I haven't done, you know, this, I'm doing my first and last burr now. And, and uh, first and last. Because of that, right? Yeah. First and last. Um, so pick the strategy that matches your goal, right? After you have all of that, so this, is, this could be a couple of years in or six months in or whatever your starting point is. Step five is actually when you go talk to an agent. Hmm. And I said agent, but what I do is I talk to at least three. Right, A home buyer is going to take up a bunch of an agent's time, going to look at a bunch of properties. They, to protect the agent's time, they should probably sign an, an exclusivity agreement. That agent will want it. And I, I totally get it. It's fair. But as an investor, I've never had an agent show me a property until I'm under contract. I'm not going to take any of their time other than set up an auto search. Now you have a chance of getting a commission. And when I present it that way, I and social media world, I've had agents say, I would never do that. In real life, yeah, I have never had an agent say no, because the, the dangling carrot of a potential uh, commission with the limited work of just setting up an auto search and maybe adjusting it down the road if my reserves get bigger or something changes. Um, and then like Math Lumberjackson, uh, landlord says, dance with the one who brung you. Make sure whoever sends you the deal is the one who gets it because you want to protect your reputation. So that's the fifth step. The sixth step comes from this smart guy I know that has uh, a YouTube channel, books, podcasts, course, 
one rental at a time. Yeah. It's almost like he's got a hat that says this. Yeah. Step six is do the work. Yeah. Rinse and repeat. Hunt for deals. Look every day. Don't book four hours on a Saturday. Book 15 to 30 minutes every single day. Look at your deals. Even if there's something in your situation that's saying you're not going to buy for six months or a year, you want to be looking a little bit every day yes. so you can with the market as you go. Right. Yes. Those six steps, if you're just starting right now today versus if you have 10 rentals and you're going for the 11th, this is the same six steps. And what I would really like to do someday is make a really short video hmm. on what we've changed in the last few years to now. And and because we, we have these long videos where we always mention this, where for the last few years, you wanted to be fast. Mm -hmm. You want to make an offer super quick. Get it in before the seller realized they were going to get inundated with offers, over asking, waiving contingencies, offering to name their kids after them, whatever, right? What's shifted now is we're watching days on market when something sits three, four times longer than the average in your area. We make a ridiculously low offer that makes sense to us. Like that little shift needs to be its own standalone video of because people say, well, you can't do it now. It's totally different, right? I just closed yeah, uh, a couple months ago on the most recent purchase, which would be how I would start today on a house hack then sat on the market for over 100 days. I offered 80% of their ask. We closed at 80% of their ask after two months of back and forth. Um, it's exactly how I would start now. It's pretty much how I started in 2013 with that first duplex. Yep. Um, so that's you know the six steps. We are going to do that. We're going to make sure that that uh, what what are we doing now? What are we changing video next? But before we do, Dion, where can people find you? Right here on YouTube, Dion Talk Financial Free. Thank you, buddy.